Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here on NapaBroadcasting.com. It is that very special day, particularly if you've looked at Facebook today. Is there anybody that you know that doesn't have pictures posted already of their kid going back to school on their first day of school? In honor of the first day of school, we're going to talk a little bit of education today as I'm joined by Patrick Sweeney, the superintendent of the Napa Valley Unified School District, and Elizabeth Emmett, the director of communications and community engagement for the Napa Valley Unified School District. Thank you both for coming in. Thank Thank you you for having us. It's good to have you here on the first day of school. Talk a little bit about about the first day of school. You, of course, are uh, in your offices most of the summer and working most of the year round. But how does it change? What happens in the administration of the district once the kids are back? Well, it's an exciting time, Jeff. It, it really is. It's, uh, I, I know I've been to six schools and Elizabeth's been to several schools. All our district office administrators were in schools today and Great report. Day one, a lot of excited students and parents see them drop off and then seeing them pick up this afternoon, and staff is very excited. It's, it's been a great day. What, if anything, is, and we'll talk about facilities in a minute, but from an education perspective, th- does this year bring anything new in terms of efforts with curriculum, new ways of looking at things, new ways of doing things anywhere in the district? I think we're going much deeper in the new state standards. They really stressed critical thinking and communication skills, and so what I see is there was a lot of training over the summer for our teachers to just get better at it and have our students in more of an inquiry uh, mindset. Uh, I know you have had children and grandchildren at River School. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of teaching we're doing across the system, and so it's very exciting. And I think the other piece that I've seen is a a, a more deep and um, deliberate way that we can reach students directly. In other words, personalize their learning, find out about our students, um, find out what their backgrounds are, you know, asking them, you know, what excites them about learning. And I think there's been a lot of training around this summer, what we call cultural relevance, Mm -hmm. cultural understanding, um, so that we can understand our students and their backgrounds and so that we can engage them, inspire them. And hopefully they can transform their learning and do things that maybe they didn't even think they could do. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about that, that, this idea of cultural relevance and, and how the training works for it. I mean, what are the skills that teachers need to learn and teachers need to bring to bear in order to, to accomplish it and make that work? It's almost like an awareness that we, we need to have and um, really get to know our students. And someone said we had, we had some great speakers yesterday. We had uh, for the teachers and staff, well, welcome back. And we had uh, speakers uh, speak to them. One said, not only love your kids, but let your kids know that you love them. Like, let them know that they're loved. And I think that's a piece we don't have always talked about in school, that to really care about our kids, to show empathy towards our kids, and in ways that get them excited that this teacher cares about me, this teacher respects my ideas, and this, this teacher's trying to get to know me as a person. And really going deeper with that and I think in the old way that we all went to school was about the teacher knows the curriculum, the teacher knows they're they're the expert in a in a subject area. Um, what we're trying to do is flip that so that it's more inquiry based. We're asking students questions to give us ideas to engage them as learners. Talk a little bit about the way all of this. I mean, all the the areas around it, the deeper engagement, uh, the the project based element, the cultural element, all the things you're talking about. 
the way in which this has evolved here in the district, you mentioned River School before, and some of the ideas, some of the experiments, some of the things that went on there, as well as some other schools really have now spread throughout the district. Talk a little bit about the way that has evolved here, because a lot of other places talk about these things, but NVUSD has actually done them, and not just in one or two experimental sites, but really expanded it to scale across the whole district. Well, I think we've had a very visionary board. They really care about the future of our children and their success in life and success in the workplace. And they really put it on us to say, let's let's have schools that are uh, more engaging, that teach 21st century skills so kids can communicate well and collaborate with one another, understand each other's differences, celebrate each other's differences, and move forward together um, in higher order, more critical thinking types of experiences, make them real world, uh, real life. And what we've done is uh, New Tech High was founded 20 years ago because the business community said, hey, we want a better workforce, and, and our graduates or your graduates, Napa Valley Unified, are just kind of coming out as sort of rote learners. We want um, b- bigger skills and more important skills for the workplace, um, like I mentioned, communication skills, uh-huh. critical thinking skills, collaborative skills. Uh, we're expanding those to um, what we call a global citizenship, so students think not only of Napa but outside of Napa and anywhere from our county to our state to our country, to the to the uh, international, now with, you know, the internet, everything's kind of international. And then also um, character. We want to bring that back. That was a big emphasis in the, in the district several years ago, and we want to bring that back. We're doing a lot of things around that, uh, so students are ethical and um, honest and show integrity, and we want to celebrate that. And just, you know, to be a global citizen, to be a U.S. citizen, you really need to... Um, have strong character and ethics, but also be achieving as a student. Elizabeth, I want to talk a little bit about the community engagement part, because there are, I'm sure of this, a great many parents out there that see school the way it was when they went to school, the way it used to be, what Patrick was talking about, and that, that parents need to be kind of a part of this process, or at the very least to understand how these changes really affect their kids and how it's going to be better for their children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really do. And when we um, we do our best to tell parents all the time, here's here's how you best can best support your student. Here's how you can help your student be successful in not only in their school career but also, you know, through life and it starts when they're real little, you know, teaching them make sure they get a lot of experience with reading and, you know, hearing people read to them and talk to them and help them with their vocabulary and then as they get older, talking to their teachers, you know, what what will my student be learning? What is this class about? What is it that they're going to get out of it? And um, really be partners, you know, with teachers and students in their education so that um, you know, all three are working together to help get that student uh, and one of the things, we, you know, some of the things we're trying to do in terms of engagement to help pay parents do that is, you know, newsletters and encouraging them to visit the school and, you know, trying to be as open and as transparent as we can be and to be available to parents who want to talk mm-hmm. about, you know, their students' education or have ideas for us. Um, Patrick has a parent advisory committee that meets to help us, you know, talk through some of the things and help us understand what our parents struggling with, you know, what kind of issues and what kind of knowledge, you know, what kind of knowledge gaps are there that we should be filling. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there for us to help parents. There's a lot of opportunity out there for parents to talk with us about what they think, you know, and what kind of what they want their child's school climate to look Mm -hmm. like. And how has it been, Patrick, to bring the teachers along that, that might have been used to doing it a different way for a long time? 
You know, we've been doing this for five years uh, where teachers are getting training, and I think we're at that critical mass where, um, generally speaking, you have early adopters. They just want to try something right. new, and they're just, you know, intrinsically motivated. Then what we call the sort of the early majority, then, you know, they sort of get on board, and then you have a late majority. And and we're at the late majority. We're, at, we're like, we're on board, and, and it's very, very exciting. All our middle schools are doing this work. Our high schools are doing this work. And, you know, thankfully, our elementary schools, and in their own way, some schools are a little further ahead than others, but everyone's committed. The administrators are committed. We have three goals. We've had three, the same three goals for the last five years, preparing all students for college and careers, making sure we have equitable access so students get what they need, the personalized learning I was talking about, and then third, the 21st century skills. We really want to instill life skills and work skills that are going to make them competitive in, in this century. And how does this dovetail with something we've touched on a little bit in the past with the changing demographics of the schools in Napa? Well, it's, it's really interesting. It's, um, there's a lot I could say about this. Let me just say this. Our nation is better because of immigrants, and we have uh, several children of immigrants in our, in our district. And um, we're finding that not only Mexico but other countries, um, we, from the Philippines we have uh, students, we have students from Asia, um, I just heard we have a family from, that's Arabic speaking. Um, we're trying to find people to help them, you know, get into school, right. um, both just registering their child, but even the child, sixth grade child coming in and, and, uh, getting support where they need it. Um, so it, there's, there's, there can be challenges with, with students learning English. Um, but they bring a richness and a real work ethic that, um, we sometimes don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about facilities, and one of the things that we always know is that during the summer, lots of things get fixed, done, changed, improved. What happened during this past summer, and what schools are uh, seeing some new things today? Well, I think if you go out to the middle schools, you're going to see some great solar out in the parking lots and and on the campuses. Um, The solar, for example, at American Canyon High, that's a huge campus. Uh, There's 1,600 students there. And I think they paid $100 for the whole year for uh, energy, for electricity. Um, we want to replicate that. Napa High and Vintage High got it last summer. This summer we're looking at our middle schools. And so they're all – I see the I see the solar panels up in the parking lots <clears throat> at our middle schools. I think they're just going to be connecting things shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, American Canyon Middle, uh, Silverado, Harvest, the Harvest River Campus, and um, – and Redwood, they're all getting um, solar this summer. And top of that, we had some money to help with some of the seismic upgrades, so we're continuing that work. That'll go into next summer with the passing the passing of uh, Measure H, the school bond. First of all, shout out to the community. Thank you very much. It passed in every community, Yauntville, Napa, and American, American Canyon. Uh, so we're very thankful to the community for supporting the bond. And so there's gave you a few sleepless nights on the way to the final <laughs> count. However, <laughs> you all well that ends well. <laughs> I, I have to say that Patrick was confident from the moment the polls closed on election night that it was going to pass. And even when naysayers like John Tudor and I, said, oh, that's not going to change that much. You hung in there, and you we were, were all, right. We were all cautiously optimistic, I think. No, nobody wanted to be that Pollyanna, but I think behind our hands, we were like, oh, I, I think this might happen. Well, as, so. we, yeah, as we found out, only half the votes had been counted. So yeah. as the votes came in, we had done a lot of 
get out the vote. There were a lot of young families who hadn't voted yet, and we kind of knew that. There were uh, first-time voters who hadn't voted, and we were we had a great. But, but I mean, it was you, a broad campaign. You you did a lot of work in those final days. I totally admit to being negative about it, as you know, John was. He and I have had this conversation a thousand times over the years. And you say, well, why do you think that half is going to be different than the other half? Statistically, it doesn't make sense. But you knew that you guys had really done a great campaign and that really worked towards Election Day and and pulled it off. Well, we had a lot of parents and students and, and staff helping make phone calls. And from those phone calls, we knew who had voted. We knew who had yet to vote. And we knew who were likely yeses. And so we just concentrated on the likely yeses. And, um, you know, democracy works when mm-hmm. when you uh, work at it. Well, and, there uh, are some groups that, and candidates that may want to hire you two to uh, run their <laughs> campaign. You <laughs> did such a good job. No, seriously. Talk a little bit about Measure H. Now that the bond issue has passed, what are the priorities? What happens next in terms of facilities that need improvement and seismic upgrade, which was certainly a big part of, of that? Well, do you want to talk about the projects, and I'll talk about oversight? Sure, sure. Well, as we stated in the campaign, we've had a facility master plan for over two years. We we winnowed it down to the top things, and because we promised the voters that we wouldn't ask them for more than $39 per $100,000 assessed, we have about $265-269 million of projects, worth of projects, and we're not doing them all at once. We've, we've got to layer it because we want to make sure we keep our promise to $39 per $100,000 assessed. And we're starting off with the seismic, which what we talked about. Many schools um, this coming year will get seismic upgrades. Um, West Park, um, Valley Oak, Napa High School, Vintage High School, Donaldson Way, um, McPherson, um, Harvest Middle School, Silverado Middle School, and... Um, Redwood Middle School. If you remember, last fall we were talking about combining El Centro School and Salvador School, so we're going to get started on that new school, a new elementary school at El Centro, so that we can make space for River Middle School to move over to uh, Salvador, where the Salvador campus is on Highway 29. We're we're in the process of doing um, RFPs for architects. That's requests for proposals from architects. Um, snow schools on an earthquake fault. We've got to make sure we move that back, and so there'll be earth, uh, architects. Um, Talk a little bit about snow school because it is uh, the school itself now is on an earthquake fault, but even moving it somewhere else on that site, what are the concerns, and 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 how is that going to be addressed? Even having any school on the, on that site. Well, we've done. Uh, you know, we did boring actually right before the earthquake that summer. Believe it or not, we had done boring because um, the state had told us. You know, I think we think there's an earthquake fault going through that <laughs> campus. Um, the good news is it goes right through the front of the campus, and in the back of the campus, there's a lot of vacant land that we can move the campus back. We'll put parking where the fault line is, so that um, you know it's safe for everyone. Um, but the goal is to get architects on board and start drawing that those plans and moving the campus it would be to the east which i say the back of the campus right but right yeah clearly the state is very concerned about the safety of schools and so they they tell us you know they have very specific guidelines for us about where you know schools can be in relationship i mean i guess the question is also will they say it's okay will the rebuilding of snow be even more earthquake safe than did another school that may not be Oh, 600 feet from a fault line. The, the state has become very, very strict about uh, building schools. It, many of our um, 
people in the community don't know that our schools are our safety centers. Um, they're relocation centers if there mm-hmm. is a, ma- a major disaster. So schools are built extra strong, uh, much stronger than private industry um, to withstand aftershocks or earthquake or whatever the natural disaster is. So, yes, we'll follow whatever the state tells us and, and do it right. One of the other things that uh, was part of the bond issue and that there's certainly a need for is uh, more schools in American Canyon. Talk about that. Well, Napa Junction, the the snow school has a fairly um, easy. It's going to be it's going to be time consuming and costly, but it but it's um, very doable. In the case of Napa Junction, that earthquake fault, believe it or not, goes diagonally right through the campus from one corner to the diagonal opposite corner. And so we've got to move that to a whole new site. And so we're in the process of looking for land. We're working with the American Canyon City Council and um, some private landowners down there to mm-hmm. to look for a site. Um, we've had the state come out and kind of look at our preferred site. They've given a thumbs up. Um, there'll be there'll be more testing that we have to do for the state. But um, the goal is to to bit rebuild that school. Um, the other. The other um, actions that are coming is there's a development in Watson Ranch that wants to come into the city of American right. Canyon called Watson Ranch. We're finalizing those agreements. Um, and if they build their 1,253 homes, they'll, they'll generate um, about 400 elementary students. But we'll be building a school with both developer fees and some school bond money. But mm-hmm. mostly the, the developers paying their fair share. I want to talk a little bit about uh, technology upgrades, which was certainly part of the whole discussion surrounding the bond and something that I think is is top of mind, certainly for a lot of parents, about technology in schools today. How much is enough and what has to be done, et cetera? There's major infrastructure we still have to do at our schools, and I would say many of our middle schools are are great. The high schools are, are in good shape, but our elementary schools are lacking the wireless and the infrastructure on bandwidth. We're working uh, on the bandwidth. We think we've got that figured out. Um, but the the use of the computers, I don't know if everyone knows this, but all our state tests now are done on a computer. Right. So our students have to be on a laptop or um, some kind of device in order to take the state tests. That's, that's new. What that's done is required every classroom to be equipped with. We have to equip them with um, wireless so that when all the computers go on at once, they have the, enough reception to uh, to get all the work done. And we've had cases where that hasn't happened, and it's been very frustrating, especially in the middle schools where every student's bringing a laptop to school. Mm-hmm. And what is the time frame in terms of those technology upgrades? We're going to get started right now. Um, we have a timeline to start in October with technology, and we also want to do voiceover on telephone systems. We'll be part of that. Um, wireless, we want to, you know, if we... We keep saying we want to transform lives by instilling 21st century skills. We, we better show it. So <laughs> we've got to make sure the infrastructure is there so when our students and parents and teachers, staff are ready to use it, it's it's on and it, it works like a light switch. You know, 99% of the time light switches work. Sometimes power goes out if there's a storm. That's what we want our technology to be 24-7. One of the other things that parents are going to start seeing this fall as well is um, some of the upgrades to school safety, some fencing alarms, cameras that we heard from parents are important to them in terms of knowing that their kids are safe during the school day. So some of that work is going to start right away as well. How much, either one of you, how much safety in that regard is enough? You know, you hear a lot of times that it's always been great in Napa, and I've heard this from people, 
that you know a lot of the schools don't have as they do in Los Angeles for parts of Los Angeles every place doesn't have a fence around it or barbed wire or, or whatever mm-hmm. that there's a certain openness that that's been nice how, how far do we have to go in this and what are the concerns in that regard well I think our, our concern is our priority is keeping our kids safe and of course nobody can guarantee anything right but we, what we can do is what we know is helpful. And what we know is helpful is when we know who's on campus. You know, we can keep a track of who's on campus during our day when the kids are there. So that's, that's really what fencing accomplishes is it makes – if someone's going to go on campus, they have to go through that front office. And, if, and then once the day is over, we can open the, open the fences up and let people use the, f- the facilities, the playgrounds, the fields. Right, that because are part that of is the community. other part of it. There's mm-hmm. always been this relationship that existed between the city – and the school district, I mean, this goes back many, many, many years in terms of use of facilities, th- yep. that there's been this partnership. And we're, we're will an, that still exist? We're an important community asset in a lot of ways. We're schools, but we also provide, you know, recreation areas for folks and for sports teams. Right. And that's not going to go away. It's during the school day when our kids are there that we need to know that they're safe and we need to do our best to keep them that way. Mm-hmm. With respect to money for all of this, we talked a little bit about Measure H, the bond issue. One of the things that people are going to find on their ballot in uh, 83 days, it's 82 or 83 days from now, Mm -hmm. is Prop 51, a measure for school bond money being put on by the state of California that would be divided up among all the school districts in the state. Talk a little bit about what that means to Napa Unified, what it might mean to Napa Unified if it passes. Jeff, it's it's just great because the state has run out of money for school facilities, and they have in the— the state law, it says that if your facilities qualify, the state will match 60% on, on um, schools that need to be modernized. In other words, when you have so many portables like we do and they're over 25 years old, the state can match 60% of that replacement. In the case, for example, in Marion Canyon where um, that development's coming in, the developer's going to pay their fair share, but the state will also kick in if we show that we're overcrowded and the state will match 50% of that funding. But right now, the state doesn't have any money. And the state won't give a school district a dime unless we put our money first. And so what the state will do, um, they'll reimburse the district. And so we're expecting somewhere between 30 and $40 million from the state if this measure passes. We get our projects approved. We build them as per state guidelines. We're expecting state to help fund this. And that that's going to really help us uh, as a system do even more. What will that allow us to do in addition to the things that were part of Measure H? Well, Measure H only promised $269 million, and that sounds like a lot of money, but we have like $475 million of need. And what they'll be able to do is from 269 we add another $40 million to that. Now we're over 310 So it's a long-term facility master plan. It's going to be flexible. If we get state money, it helps us leverage money to, to get other uh, projects done go deeper into the plan yeah mm-hmm. so so mm-hmm. it's 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 really a good thing if uh the state bond passes um in the past the state bonds have passed they've been successful mm-hmm. so it's just going to help leverage local money you know i know you have listeners who are really interested in in this kind of thing they're interested in where the you know where the money comes mm-hmm. from where it goes seeing the relationship between the local money and the state money and the federal money and um for those people i'd really like to suggest that they apply to be on our Measure H Oversight Committee. We just opened up the um, application for that. It closes September 9th. And basically what those folks, those are citizens who are going to sit on a committee 
um, and find out exactly, you know, they're going to ensure for the rest of the community that we're doing exactly what we said we would do with the Measure H money, that we're doing it on time and that we're doing it in the right way. And when um, their tenure on this committee is over, they'll report back to the community on exactly what they saw, exactly what they experienced, and exactly what the community got for their investment in our schools. And if people are interested in, in participating in that and being on the oversight committee, mm-hmm. what should they do? Who should they contact? There's a, there's a two-page application. They can find that on our website. If they go to nvusd.org, there's a link right on the homepage. If they don't want to um, get it that way, they can um, call our office and ask that one be mailed to them. And that number that they can call is, uh, let's see, right here. Thank you, 253-3533. Or they can just stop by the district office and pick one up in the business services office. Great. And finally, Patrick, uh, on this first day of school, talk about we've, we've covered a lot of territory, the facilities, the curriculum. What is it that still gets you the most excited about this job every day? You know, I think it's it's the children and the people. I mean, I was able to visit six schools today and seeing those children and seeing their parents, their treasures. I mean, we, we ha- we're stewards of their treasures, and, and it's just so exciting. And, and I'll tell you something. We have the best staff in the world. I mean, the secretarial staff so welcoming, the custodians. Our campuses look great. Go out to our campuses. I mean, they're, they're well-groomed. They look clean. Um, yes, there's some old ones, and we've got to fix them up. But, um, but overall, it's just a pleasure to work in a, in a place like this where everyone cares about our kids. Patrick Sweeney, Elizabeth Emmett, thank you so much for coming in, and happy first day of school. Thank Thank you, you. Wine, food, talk. NapaBroadcasting.com.